Well, hey, good morning. It is good to be gathered together today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you do not have a Bible, that's fine. You can pull it up. If you have a smartphone, uh, try not to be too distracted. But we will be in John 15 yet again this morning as we continue in our deep dive of this text. And what I'd like to do for us this morning, as we usually do, is simply read the text for us. And so hear the reading of the word this morning, John 15 verses 1 through 11. We will eventually get back to handing out Bibles. Maybe you remember that. Uh, we will hopefully be able to get back to that. John 15, 1 through 11. These are the words of Jesus' red letter. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Why don't we take a moment to quiet our hearts I would invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we reflect on this text this morning and upon a third characteristic or truth of what it means to truly be in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this opportunity this morning to reflect upon your word, to gather as your people. I pray that, Lord Jesus, wherever we are, in our bodies, in our emotions, God, in our thoughts, Lord Jesus, that you would join us as you promised that you do, and that you would change us. Remind us that we are deeply loved. We thank you for the blessing that it is to gather as a church community. God, over, after a year and a half, Lord Jesus, where uh, Lord, that was not as possible. And so, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this opportunity. May we not take it for granted. We love you. We thank you for what you're going to teach us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 
We're in the middle of this summer series called The Vine and the Branches, a deep dive into John 15, verses 1 to 11, the words that I just read for us from Jesus, in which Jesus helps us by providing an analogy, an illustration as to what it means to be in relationship with him. We're looking at four things or four characteristics or four truths of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. And you may recall the first week in which I spoke, I talked about the reality of pruning, that to be in relationship with Jesus, Jesus says that pruning is going to happen. It's necessary for our growth that we would bear more fruit. Then a couple of weeks ago, Spencer spoke about the the promise of Jesus' presence with us, that as we're in relationship with him, he promises that he is with us and his presence is a reality. And then this morning, we're looking at the promises that Jesus makes to his disciples here in this text. Now, as it relates to the topic of promises, I want you to think about this question. What does a promise mean to you? What does a promise mean to you? Now, some of us, if we're honest, maybe as we think about a promise, we have some negative connotations with it. And maybe in a sense, because we have been in a relationship or we've been part of a community where someone made a promise and they didn't keep that promise. And so whether we recognize it or not, we respond to the promises that are made to us in our life with a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of cynicism. And we kind of come into those relationships and we say, well, we'll, you know, we'll see when it actually happens, when you prove it to me. Other of us, though, may be fortunate that when we think about promises, we have really positive connotations to the idea of promises. People have been very truthful in their relationship with us. They've kept promises. And so therefore, when we think about the idea of promises of God or promises of Jesus from this text to you and to me, it's, it's a positive thing. It's like, this is, this is great. Because here's the thing. No, no matter what relationship you are in with another human being, any sort of covenant or intimate relationship that you're going to have with a group of people will require you to surrender, to trust, and have faith in the other people that they will keep their promises to you as you walk out relationship with them, right? It can be as simple as, hey, I'll, I'll see you next week, to as significant as, you know, you think of a couple on their wedding day saying, I am wholly committed to you for the rest of my living days on this earth. Maybe you've heard stories of tragically experienced when that promise was not kept to you. So when we make promises, it then requires those of us who are being promised to, or when someone makes a promise to us, that we enter in with trust and surrender. Now, I don't know where you are as it relates to thinking about the promises that God makes to us in the Scriptures. And certainly in this text, we have three promises that I believe are truly good news if we consider what they are and what Jesus wants to give us confidence about as it relates to a relationship with him. And so three promises this morning in the text that I hope will be an encouragement, will come as good news. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that these promises would also come to you and that you would understand that you can be in relationship with God and that this God that we trust, who we understand through the scriptures, is one who keeps his promises. So let's look at these three promises that Jesus makes in John 15 verses 1 through 11. Here's the first promise. comes in verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what's the promise? Here's the promise. When we attach to Jesus, when we abide with Jesus, Jesus promises that fruit will be evident and growing in our lives. When we abide or when we attach to Jesus, he promises that fruit will be evident and growing in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned, Spencer spoke about the presence of God with us, this language that Jesus uses of abide. Spencer used the language of one theologian who says that the wording of that means to make our home with God. I've come to enjoy and appreciate the language of attachment around this. Maybe you're familiar with attachment theory, that as children grow, they develop secure attachments with their parents. And this is what abide is getting at, that you and I would come into relationship with Jesus and that we would grow into becoming those who have a secure attachment with Jesus himself. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Our emphasis, our focus ought to be on helping that attachment grow to mature so that you and I might become branches that by the power of the Spirit, more fruit is brought from our lives. So the promise is when we attach to him, Jesus promises that fruit will be evident and growing in our lives. And maybe this is what you want. If you're a follower of Jesus, you say, I want to grow in my spiritual maturity. Maybe you're not even aware that you can grow, that you start somewhere, and that as you grow in your life, you become more like Jesus. And as a result, you know, back in January, February, March, we studied the Beatitudes. And as you grow in your spiritual maturity, the Beatitudes come to describe you more and more and more as your character changes, you become more like Jesus. The question, though, for many of us is, what's holding me back from that? You know, maybe you're like, I want to grow. I want more fruit. I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. What is holding me back? In a recent message I heard while I was on holidays, uh, Pastor John Tyson said that one of the things that holds us back is discouragement. How many of you, if you're honest in your relationship with Jesus, have reached seasons of discouragement? Maybe it even came through a period of pruning, right, that we talked about a number of weeks ago. We grew discouraged and we just said, you know what, I'm going to take some time off. I don't want to continue growing. This is too discouraging. Maybe for some of us, it's the reason of distraction, We become distracted in our uh, discipleship to Jesus. I think of Peter walking on the water. You think of that story, right? As Peter gets out of the boat and Jesus, he's looking at Jesus. And as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the wind of the waves, what do they do? They distract him and he begins to sink. Maybe some of us in our relationship with Jesus have become distracted. We've taken our eyes off of him. It's very possible in our world and in our time. Or maybe the third thing, if we're really honest, is we're just living in disobedience. The sin that's in our lives, we we don't want to really grow. We're saying, I know that this is not what God wants for me, but I'm enjoying this. I want this. It feels good. So you want to disregard it. And so as a result, you're not growing your relationship with Jesus because that attachment is not being strengthened through obedience. And so how do we grow? What is, 
What is the way that we get back to strengthening this attachment so that fruit, which we talked about was our character, our surrender and attachment to Jesus, other people coming to know Jesus in and through our witness, how do we get back there? I think one of the first things is being honest about answering the question, what do I want? In the beginning of John, which we studied a couple of years ago, Jesus, as he's calling his first disciples, says to his disciples, what do you want me to do for you? What, how would you answer that question? You know, just think about that. Jesus were asking you guys, I believe he is even this morning, what it is that you would have me do for you? What do you want? You know, all of us have competing desires in life, right? You think about even a, a very maybe simple example to think about is that maybe you have a desire that says, I want to not objectify people in my life. That's a good desire. You want to grow in relationship. You don't want to objectify people. But then another desire would be, but I like looking at people. <laughs> I like thinking sensually about other people. Those are two competing desires. And what you and I have to do is decide for ourselves, what is the thing that I want the most? Which desire do I want to go after? I don't want to objectify people. I want to grow an intimate relationship with them. And Jesus says, what is it that you want? What is it that you want me to do for you? Secondly, I think we need to recognize and remember the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? Who empowers us to pursue Christ. You know, one of the most beautiful and honest prayers that Jesus invites us to pray is, Jesus, help me to want a relationship with you. I want you to imagine asking that to another human being. It might come off a little bit weird. Help me want to have a relationship with you. And God, by his Spirit, invites us to be honest and say, Jesus, by your power of your Spirit, help me want relationship with you, to grow in my attachment to you, Jesus. Or how about the transformative power of communities surrounding ourselves with people who also want to go in the same direction? Or maybe you found as you hang out with people that do not know and love Jesus, they also challenge your convictions to say, do I want to pursue Jesus? What is my witness in the midst of this group? Or how about the reality of just habits, the transformative power of habits in our lives? Nurturing habits that are healthy for us that take us towards Jesus, that helps strengthen that attachment to him. And so Jesus promises when we attach to him, fruit will be evident and fruit will in fact be growing in our lives. This is the good news of being in relationship with Jesus. He says that as you grow in relationship with me, fruit will come. Trust me, it will come. Second promise in this text found in verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let me repeat that one. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, if the first promise feels a little bit challenging, this promise just maybe for us raises so many questions. What do you mean? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Maybe you think of times in your life where you're like, I asked for things and it didn't seem to be done for me. He doesn't keep that promise. We could do two months on this question. 
I'd like to go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10, however, to look at an example from the Apostle Paul's life as it relates to a request that he had. Notice what he says. Some of us maybe are familiar with this text. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, we do not know what this thorn in the flesh is as we look at the scriptures. But look look at his honesty in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Notice the language. I pleaded with the Lord about it, that it would leave me. He's clearly asking God to have this thorn in the flesh leave him. But verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what does Paul say? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice Paul asked three times. The prayer, the pleading is not answered in the way that he wants it to be answered. And he comes to hear the voice of God say, I'm not taking this away from you. This is something that you need. Now, we don't, we don't mean to like this concept emotionally. We're like, what do, you, what do you mean I need this? But what does Paul, Paul discover? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul comes to see that it's his weaknesses that are a good thing. That I need this thorn. I need this thing that I've been asking God three times I asked that it would be God. And it stayed with me. And so I'm sure that his request then changed of, God, keep me humble. Keep me weak. And God wants to answer prayers like that because we come to know his heart. Psalm 139 has been a psalm that I've gone back to, spent lots of time meditating upon. I don't know if you've ever spent lengthy time in Psalm 139 before, but I want to point something out to us that maybe will be interesting to you as it's interesting to me. David starts the psalm with saying, you've searched me, O God. You know me. Right? He starts with declaring God's absolute knowledge of himself. He goes on and he says, God, you, you created me. You know everything about me. Looking at God's absolute creation over him. He continues as the psalm progresses and he continues to affirm how much God knows him. Yet at the end of the psalm, what does he say? What does he ask? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Isn't that weird? He's already declared that God has already searched him and known him. Why is he now asking? Well, you and I know this as human beings. Because he comes to the end, he develops this posture of saying, I know you know me, but now I need to ask that you would know me. I need to become humbled. I need to be surrendered. I need to trust. And what does he say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And then what? And lead me in the way everlasting. Notice the promise Jesus makes here, his words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So what's the promise? Well, when we attach to Jesus, his words abide in us. 
And as his words abide in us, our heart is changed. And so therefore, our requests are changed. This makes sense. Our requests are changed. As we attach to Jesus and his presence is increasingly in us, our requests change, and those requests are then heard and answered. We go from saying, hey God, this is, this is something I'd really want to. God, think about the craziness of a prayer like this. Do whatever you have to do in my life so I become more like you. That's nuts. Do whatever it takes. God, give me poverty of spirit. Make me weak. May I lose so that I can gain more of you. And what does Jesus then say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, what a tragedy that we would build a life that is not built on Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a warning against performance-based religion. And it's at the same time an invitation to surrender. To say, Jesus, do in me what you want to do in me so that I would become more like you. Change the things that I ask so that they would be according to your will and not to my own. How about the last promise? Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What's the promise? The promise is that when we obey Christ, we strengthen our attachment to him and experience his love. And you know this of human relationships. Now, the one caveat would be, uh, legalistic or, again, a performance-based religiosity that says, you know what, if I obey God, he's going to love me more. I'm going to impress him. So, God, now you owe me your love because I'm obeying you. That's not the gospel. We are loved in spite of us because of Christ and through Christ. Yet at the same time, what we come to understand is that as we obey Jesus, as we do the things that he invites us to do alongside him, empowered by his spirit, we strengthen our attachments to him. Again, you think about a human relationship. When you do for the other person what you know is best for them and for your relationship, the relationship is strengthened. You know, I've, I think I've talked about this before, but when I'm in a moment with my kids at times, in my healthy moments, not in my unhealthy moments, where they're disobeying me and they're being rebellious, I'll stop at some point and say, have I done something that has made you not trust me? Have I, have I done something that has made you not trust me? It's interesting listening for those responses, and as I'm sure as they grow older, but when you trust, when you obey, when you surrender, obedience comes, right? Surrender, then obedience. So obedience strengthens our attachment. This is good news. But then we also need to remember, as I said and pointed out earlier, and sometimes we can forget this about obedience, is that the Holy Spirit is given to you and to me to empower and enable us to obey. This is what Jesus says in John 14, verses 15 to 17. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Notice where that comes immediately after. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. So the Spirit of God dwells within us, enabling our obedience. 
And notice what Jesus also says there at the end of verse 10. He says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why is this good news? Well, Jesus is saying something. He's saying that our relationship with him as we obey and as we surrender is to mimic the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. What an invitation that our relationship can mimic the relationship that Jesus has with the Father, that Jesus has made a way for us to be in relationship with the Father And then our allegiance, our obedience, our surrender to Jesus is then mimicking the intimacy that the Father shares with God the Son. So here's the three promises from the text. One, when we attach to him, Jesus promises that fruit will be evident and it will be growing in our lives. Secondly, when we attach to him and his presence is increasingly in us, our requests change And those requests are then heard and answered. And then thirdly, when we obey Christ, we strengthen our attachment to him and experience his love, an attachment, love, and obedience that mimics the relationship of the Father and the Son. Now, where does this all begin? Well, as we begin, I said that in any relationship that you have, it begins with a posture when someone makes a promise to us of faith, surrender and trust. Yes, I'm going to trust you. You know, one of the most famous things I think C.S. Lewis said was about love, right? And what does he say? That if you do love, you're opening yourself up to heartache, to pain. But he said, if you don't love, your heart becomes a cold, dead. He said, you ought to just put it in a coffin is the analogy and illustration that he uses. And so as Jesus makes these promises, he invites us to surrender. He invites us to trust And so may we respond this morning to Jesus' promises with faith, surrender, and trust. I want to invite you now to spend a couple of minutes to invite Jesus, invite the Holy Spirit this morning to enable you with faith, surrender, and trust so that you can believe Jesus, that you can have confidence, that you can have assurance in your relationship with him, and that he would make his promises real in your life because they are sure and they are good.